Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics Podcast for the Savage Critics website. In the conclusion to episode 15, Graham McMillan and I talked recent comics, including the latest volume of Mom and the second issue of Alan Moore's Neonomicon. Yes, it's another extensive and conflicted analysis of Mr. Moore, this time focusing on how he handles his female characters. Fortunately, we somehow emerge from that potential conversational quagmire intact and go on to look at Kevin Huizinga's Wild Kingdom from Drawn and Quarterly and Benjamin Mamara's Gangster Rap Posse. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. So breaking news! I, this is great, because like when this actually comes out, then it will happen a week ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the break between us talking, um, David Gabriel has just at the ICV2 conference said that Marvel will also be dropping prices in January. Holy crap. Yeah, however, this, this is interesting because um, Debbie Oki has just done the um, the exact quote. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say it on what books. He just says, we'll be able to lower prices in January 2011 due to what we've done with digital comics. So that might not be all the sales. Uh, yeah, that that it wouldn't surprise me if that Marvel did something like they kept their flagship flagship books at three ninety nine, um, or who knows? You know, they had originally started with doing sort of the more well, they, minor they, titles. Yeah, they did tiers, so I'm guessing they'll go back to tiers. Right. So yeah, we'll see what happens. But, but still, holy crap! I know that's amazing news, and I don't know, I don't know who or what managed to make them. Um, make that. Yeah, both make that decision, but I mean, you know, as I said in the last podcast, I had been talking to Hibbs at, at Comics Experience uh, just a week before I left, or I mean, it must must have been like eight days ago now, and he was talking about how he felt it was what the industry needed, and he didn't think it was going to happen. It certainly was going to happen from, you know, Marvel. So the idea it's, that... It's, it's so funny that, I mean, literally in what, the last hour we've been talking... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Both publishers have said we're dropping prices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's remarkable. What this, because I'm already thinking about the next big thing. What this means to me is, um, what does it mean for the independent companies? Because after Marvel raised the prices three ninety nine, all of a sudden, Oni, IDW, Dark, well, Dark Horse always the three fifty, so they were cheaper, but mm-hmm. um, they were all suddenly the same price as a Marvel book. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like for what felt like the first time ever those publishers could do 32 pages of color book for the same price as a Marvel book. And that felt significant to me. And obviously now they're not, now they're more expensive again. Right. I wonder if when they were on an even playing playing field, whether it meant anything and Uh, whether it's going to mean anything. I mean, you'd have to really talk to people who who knew people who who actually had the answer. Exactly. uh, Exactly. But it feels significant to me yeah yeah it, it is like i'm sort of like wow well it looks like i know what what's going to be everyone's going to be talking about at new york comic-con this weekend yeah oh no i i i as soon as dc announced i was like well dc's just won the, the pr war mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so the fact that marvel's following suit how they end up following suit will be very well, very interesting. yeah see how they do it is also interesting and also does the our lead that DC had in announcing this mm-hmm. mean DC are still going to look like the good guys in this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, is that our lead enough to make it look like Marvel are following? Because obviously Dan Gabriel did not know about this news because he's in a fucking conference and has been for the last three hours. 
Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I wonder how it's going to play with the very eager to take sides, very eager to assume that everything is binary comic community. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I you know, part of me is kind of, I don't like the whole, like, rushing in to, to you know, call this a win for one company or another, be, in a, it, just because in, in a way it ends up... Well, I mean, in this case, it's obviously not. Like, there's no way either, like, they obviously decided independently. Yeah, I think I, so. I'm, I'm simultaneously, <laughs> it looks like. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, ultimately, the win, quote-unquote, is going to be claimed by Marvel because I don't think Marvel's going to draw pages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the fact that DC announced it first is a big deal. I don't think yeah. that, you know, I think two pages, I don't really I don't know anyone's really... What's that? I don't think two pages is a big deal. Yeah, two pages isn't a big deal, and I just don't think that there was anyone, as far as I know, that was invested in any of the backups enough to really... Oh, I, I will disagree, and do you know why? Why? Jimmy Olsen backup in action, which has gotten a lot of positive play in the last two weeks. Oh, that is true. I guess you're right. I think that is the one that people... I mean, I've already seen people complaining on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully they'll be smart and try spinning it into a miniseries and see what happens. Yeah, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. I think, the, I think the material will either get its own title or will end up somewhere. Right. Digital, maybe, or, or whatever. Well, or, yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's like if it actually has the buzz, like, grow with it. I mean, that's supposed to be the way it used to work, you know? It's like, hey, people like this. Yeah, I, 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 I think that if DC all of a sudden said we're making it into a four-issue mini, mm-hmm. I think people would be happy. Who's who's writing that? By the way, I was very behind on on the whole. Nick Spencer. Ah, okay. Who who I've never read for a nice on MH books, but I've never read him. And it it was it was good. It was it was, to my mind, very much of the Hey Luke, I've read um, All Star Superman, but also Joe Casey's Adventures of Superman from about ten years ago, where I think he did a very very similar thing. Uh, I, I seem to remember honestly a very similar story. Not even a very similar approach. I remember a very similar story from Casey. Huh. Interesting. That's fascinating. But, uh, that they took but it no, it's it's, it's it's it's. I mean, it, it's fun. It's that's what made it work. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's treating Jimmy Olsen as fun and self-aware for the first time in I think a long time. Hmm. Like, wouldn't it be fun to have crazy adventures and have Superman to bail you out if you fuck up? Right. Yeah, that would be fun. That would be kind of great, and it would be, f- and if nothing else, just the idea of having a Jimmy Olsen that embraces that, rather than the last thirty-seven years of like, I don't need Superman. I'm my own guy. Well, that's just it. Like the, the, the I guess you haven't read the story. No, the story is actually available for free. Oh, is uh, it online? Yeah, Comicsology have the whole thing available for free. Get uh, out! Really, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Before it came out as well, they they were like, we're so confident that this is good. We're previewing all ten pages. Wow, I'll have to yeah. go look for that. Um, but the story is essentially Jimmy Olsen's ex-girlfriend, who in a nice twist is Chloe Sullivan from Smallville, um, <laughs> accuses Jimmy of, she's like, you know, you used to be so exciting and now you've, you know, what's happened to you? And so he's like, I can prove I'm exciting. There's an alien invasion. I'm going to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That Because that is, that's exactly <laughs> like out of that issue of, of All-Star Superman in a way. 
where yeah, it's exactly. like, yeah, it's like I'm I'm going to prove to Lucy Lane that I'm the most interesting man in the world. So yeah, that actually is a lot of fun. That that's worth checking out. Um, yeah, and, and you know the fact they did it for free, great. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm sort of shocked that I missed that because normally I scour the the free stuff pretty clearly. Is it something that you'd have to go to the website as opposed to the iPhone yes, app to hunt? Yes, I up? believe so. I believe so. Yes. All right. Well, that's clearly my mistake right there. So fabulous, sir. So yes, uh, because we were going to talk about things that we've read recently and enjoyed. I read that recently and enjoyed it. <laughs> Fantastic. I was hoping that you would take that segue, Graham. Seize I'm, it. I'm taking that segue and I'm dying on it like the segue. <laughs> <laughs> segue inventor. Wow. Oh, Goodness. Graham. Yeah, the uh, dogs were like, we don't like that. We don't like that joke. Oh, do you know what's funny, though? Mm. So that story broke on the Segway, the official Segway blog. Do you know what the name of the official Segway blog is? Off-road? I no, it's called, it's called something like The Final Step. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I know, really, it's like, oh, no. That's not worked out well for you. <laughs> that, that is just a shame. Oh my god. Oh, that is so bad. Um, um, Jeff, Jeff Lester, what have you read recently that you've enjoyed? Well, let me see here. There's a few things that I've enjoyed that uh, I shall talk about. One of the things that I that I liked a tremendous deal um, that I read before I left. Now, some of this stuff is definitely like old or behind the. I don't think there's any... I think maybe the most recent thing that I read that I really enjoyed that's stuck in my tiny brain pan that's super recent uh, is when I was at Bergen Street just the other day, I picked up Mome Volume 19, uh, which had been getting some press anyway. And in fact, Tucker Stone had reviewed it and said good things about it. I had picked it up. uh, It was one of those things that was sort of lovingly displayed on their, their main counter uh, and had a really striking cover by Josh Simmons, picked it up, stumbled across the um, the story by D.J. Bryant, Evelyn Dalton Hoyt. Do you remember seeing anything online about it? It had been inspired by Driven to Destruction by Steve Ditko. And no. so somebody had pointed, someone had taken a couple of panels from the original Ditko story and contrasted them with the, uh, with the panels where Holt goes. It, uh, with, I'm sorry, where Bryant goes. Um... Now, I have to say, uh, allow me to qualify this in that, A, I both like this issue uh, a lot, and B, have a lot of trepidation about it, you know, in that I had picked up a couple of issues, uh, I think the first one or two issues of Moan when it first came out, and kind of decided it wasn't for me, I'm not, I tend to like my alternative anthologies kind of like cheap and weird rather than expensive and weird, I guess, you know, so like yeah. for, for me, the gold standard was very much Crumb's Weirdo. And of course, you know, long before that uh, arcade, which Spiegelman had edited, um, Mome sort of struck me as the sort of thing that um, the anthology that had been done, you know, before both by uh, Fanta before. And I'm trying to think if it was Blab uh, and maybe there was another one that, that sort of struck me as things that I would pick up and check out that never really kind of had sort of um, as loosey-goosey. They'd either have not quite as... It would be too tightly rigorous in terms of, like, the people that they were picking or that they insisted that they'd be theme issues, or else they would be just kind of, like, really over the map and moving into almost weird abstracty squiggle-type stuff 
that I kind of didn't want to pay like you know fifteen dollars for. Yeah, that, that's that's my problem with that sort of thing. Like it's too expensive for a complete gamble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but what was interesting here is this had enough variant stuff. I mean, it kind of helps that you know there's like a twelve-page Gilbert Hernandez story that's very very weird. Uh, there's a piece, um, called Hitchhiker by Tim Lane that is kind of really gorgeously illustrated in a way that reminds me of, say, um, for me, it reminds me a lot of Mac White, um, from way back when, uh, and, and a, a very lovely piece about this called The Spiritual Crisis of Carl Jung, um, by Robert Gooden that also is something like, Oh no, a full twelve pages, ten pages that feels like a complete story with something to say and somewhere to go. Um, but it's really, for me, it was what sold me on it was DJ Bryant's uh, ten pager that you know again is like a Ditko story, uh, you know, on crack in that there's a lot of explicit sex in it. There's a lot of just really gorgeous line work and rendering, like the way that he draws uh, the the bitchy main character who may or may not be driving the protagonist to murder um, is just like just gorgeously drawn in a way that, that Ditko just, you know, <laughs> God bless him, never could. Uh, <laughs> but I, I was also kind of frustrated because, it, it I mean, it's it's absolutely a showstopper piece and I thought was completely like along with the high quality of everything else in it, I thought it was really, this is, if anyone's bucks up and feels like dropping $15 on an anthology, this is, you know, goodness knows, like probably, I don't know how many pages, like 96 plus, of surprisingly strong material. My problem with it, such as it is, uh, is that it's kind of, for people who don't, who think that indie cartoonists tend to be like, a little too arch um, and really don't care about anything or else are way too glib, uh, this is not necessarily the book for them. The first piece by Josh Simmons is in full color. It's gorgeous, but it is literally about Rosie O'Donnell going to racial land, you know, where she encounters... Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, see, that's... Uh, there's... Um, did you read Wally Gropius? Uh No. No, I did not. You, you're aware of Wally Gropius? The book came out from Fancy Graphics. I yes. Yeah, remember I the guy who, who created it. I'm going to Google the, guy, the guy's name right now. Yes. Um, that was my problem with that book. Mm. Wally Gropius um, is a book that is so meta, it can't exist without the meta. It's Tim Hensley who did it. Interesting. Um, it's, and it, it's, it's one of those things where like the entire joke is that they're taking, or he is taking old fashioned, like, you know, shitty Dell comics from the 60s mm-hmm. and applying that style, but every now and again there'll be an existential question or they'll be fucking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's like it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, you like, it's, I, it's a book that's easy to admire, mm-hmm. but I find very difficult to actually like because. At the heart of it, I think, and it sounds like the Rosie O'Donnell strip is the same. At the heart of it is such snide self-referentiality. Yes. That yeah. it's just like, really? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Josh Simmons is actually very tough for me in that regard. I don't know if you ever saw House, which he did, I, I, I want to say for Fanic 
but maybe it's for Drawn and Quarterly, which is a, a horror novel uh, that's an almost wordless, or maybe it's entirely wordless uh, graphic novel about guys, you know, uh, three friends who go exploring with kind of horrific results. Mm-hmm. Um, he is capable of doing some really stellar work, but it's obvious that kind of the degree of contempt in which he holds either his audience or the subject matter depending is part of something that he feels is important for his artistic role, I guess, you know, and there, there are guys who can, who can make that work. Um, but it, it's a very tough in, in that sense. I was kind of like, wow, this is such gorgeous work. And I, but it really feels like it's like, it's like 14 pages of a beautifully illustrated cheap shot that doesn't even really seem that funny at that length. Yeah, and, uh, which is exactly Wally Gropius. Mm-hmm, yeah, and, and DJ Bryant's piece, which I do think is absolutely beautiful uh, and kind of stunning and enjoyably pornographic, um, is better, but I'm really fascinated by there's a way in which, like, I picked it up, read, sat, came back home, read the whole thing, and I'm like, yeah, this is... Uh, this is a really good issue of Mom, and for like fifteen dollars, it's like a big chunk of reading that takes a while to read. But I'm kind of, I'm still shocked by how hollow it feels for me in a way that something like, you know, Dan Klaus when he started doing Eight Ball, a lot of his stuff had a sort of similar sort of nose tweaking going on with some of its stories, or sort of a similar kind of snideness and you're kind of like well that worked for him why is it you know it even worked for me then why isn't it working for me now um so it's it's very curious for me so it's the sort of thing that i i i mention it i would love to show you the the ditko inspired story because i think that you would uh really be knocked out by parts of it like some of it is absolutely brilliant um, but I don't think that you would like this issue much at all. <laughs> but for those of us, and maybe that would be true for most of our listeners, but for those people who are kind of, you know, who, who are sort of tottering on that edge of like, well, I used to like the old, I, I like old weirdo issues of weirdo, or I do like some of the older kind of raw influenced anthologies. Um, you know, this is actually more in the direction of that and kind of gets away at least partially, although un- unfortunately not fully from that sort of uh, really s- s- sort of cynical snideness, that it, it might be worth checking out for some people. I, I liked it. I recommend it with severe reservations. So, And you, time for you to recommend something. Well, I'm not going to recommend. I'm actually going to spin off instead from your enjoyably pornographic and talk about uh, a comic that uh, my attention was led to just today. Mm. By um, by the House of Astonish podcast, whoever mans the tweets there, that I'm not entirely sure which one it is, um, pointed out that uh, now what is this comic called? Because I always get the title wrong. It is Neonomicon, the Alan Moore book from Avatar. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the second issue? Uh, no. It's kind of funny. Parker kind of oh, oh. held it up and pointed out the same, said the same thing, but didn't elaborate. Oh, oh, wow. Um, let's just say that Alan Moore, if it if it was written by anyone other than Alan Moore, this would be held up as being one of the worst comics um, <laughs> published this year. Uh, it is it out Mark Miller's Mark Miller. It huh. is 
insanely gratuitous. It is, it's just, and I don't want to say appalled because like I'm not actually appalled, but I'm stunned by it. I'm genuinely stunned by it. Hmm. Um, because it, it ends up with uh, a rape scene, like a, a, a gang rape scene that goes on for six or seven pages, I think. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know. I just, it seems to really enjoy it. If that makes sense. <laughs> That's int- So wait, so you actually, this was pointed in your direction and you went and picked it up or read it or saw it online or. I, I, um, let's just say that the internet helped. <laughs> ah, I see. All right. Well, this is always good for review purposes, of course. Um, Interesting. Was it Jason Burroughs' art then? And it did... yes, yes, it is. Okay. Um... I mean, it's 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 one of those things. Like, it looks fine. It's professionally done, as the kids say. Right. Um, it's it's just I have had a lot of problems with Alan Moore's gender politics uh, for a long time, definitely since Lost Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but this honestly is the work of a dirty old man. Interesting. And there's no way around it. Anyone who argues otherwise is <laughs> is literally lying to themselves. It is... Uh, uh, let's see. When does he, the rape scene starts on page 23 mm-hmm. and goes through page 27. Huh. Um, and... It's just... It's just... Well, and I want to ask... A, a, so... a, woman, yes. a woman at gunpoint... Mm-hmm. Is uh, raped by, I'm gonna say at least three people, if not more. Okay, and that's before she's then raped by a monster, but the monster rape happens off-panel, so that's okay. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, let me ask you: Do you think that it, it's done in a way that's different from, say, uh? Well, it sounds like you definitely do, but what what would you say differentiates this from, say, the um, the murder scene or dissection scene in From Hell, where he actually, you know, meticulously shows uh, Jack the Ripper cutting up one of his victims? Oh, I I think there's a level of intelligence to different. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, the the lyrics, uh, the lyrics, the the dialogue. Has people saying, oh, come on, this ain't so bad now. Mm, that's nice. Just a second here. Oh, yeah, baby, that's it. It's just... Wow, really? It's, it's porn. It's porn. Mm. This woman is raped at gunpoint, and she says things like, I don't do this, please, please, this is hell, please, I'm begging you as a human being. And then there's, like... Yeah, it's just, it's just porn. Interesting. Huh. And... and and here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with porn. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not even necessarily anything wrong with... Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think of how to say this in a nice way. Sure. In, no. in bringing porn into non-porn comics, if you like. Oh, interesting. I thought you were going to go the other way with that. Which is saying that there's not even necessarily something wrong with rape porn provided that it's in a kind of a specific oh, no, I, yeah it, that, that's that's also true mm-hmm. um but this this is very much outside that context like this pretty much comes from nowhere right um but what i was going to say is porn 
porn and porn comics and I presume rape porn. I I do not have much right. experience Neither with the job. No, exactly. Um, has to be has to have some level of quality, mm-hmm. and there is nothing in the um, execution of this comic mm-hmm. to suggest that the scene exists as anything other than cheap arousal. And Almer getting his himself off. Right. It, like you said, literally the gratuitousness of it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it I and it's just it's it's not just that it's gratuitous, it's that it seems to be approving. Oh I see. Gratuitous see? and salacious as well, yes. in a sense. I see. Yes. Yeah, that's that's pretty problematic. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure at some point, like, and you know, the thing is it's a monster and these are like demon worshippers, so they're implicitly evil or bad or wrong or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I honestly would have credited Moore with more um, nuance than that. And Because there's none. There's no nuance. Either you take that there is nuance, in which case it's just a salacious rape scene, mm-hmm. or you take that there's no nuance, in which case it's a salacious rape scene, but we're, that's okay because they're evil. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it's just, it's it's just terrible. It's, it, and I mean that in, the, in the sense of like a quality thing. It's just terribly done. Right. It, like if, even if you take the sex out of it mm-hmm. and it had been like a murder scene. Right. I still would have been like, that's a terribly written scene. Right. But you add the rape into it mm-hmm. and it becomes this other thing. It becomes something that's much more troubling. I'm also actually kind of surprised because I would have thought that if there was anything that more would have been really interested in, it would have been the monster rape. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I don't... well, for all we know, that could be the next. Uh, it like the literal cliffhanger is the monster coming <laughs> out. So, oh, for all we know, the next issue is monster rape. Wow! Well, it's that's... twenty pages of monster rape with like poetic captions. I, I, on... <laughs> I don't know, like. Promethea for me is is, is like it's really problematic from a gender point because there's the issue where Promethea has to have sex with a guy in order to learn about magic, right? And it's like really, yeah. I I, I mean I can't believe more people aren't concerned that that's at the very least creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there's something really 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 fucked up about that. That's interesting. Because of course, you don't I'm think like, so. Well, uh, I'm. Uh, th- that is a, no, no, no. Give me a second, because I am trying to think. Like it's been such a long time since I read Promethea, and I remember that that whole sequence is very um, weird and uncomfortable. I kind of, as I recall, I end up in the end. I ended up not having problems with it. Because, and this is where Moore manages, Moore manages to actually bury that in the meta enough that it doesn't seem to be as troublesome. I mean, for, on the one hand, to the extent that it's consensual um, is, is one hand. On the other hand, the, the, considering the sex that they're having is the sex between two sort of super forms and is therefore an almost abstract form of communication. 
Um, yeah, no, I, no, no, I, that, no, no, no. That I mean, light I, always worked really well. Dude, dude, I dude. I know, I know. Yes, yes. I, you, you are right to mock me for that. But no, in the context of it, it's kind of like I didn't, I didn't have problems with it. I guess because at the time I had enough faith in more generally to not, you know. For me, honestly, I remember having troubles way back when, uh, in when the, the you know the rape is sort of this big necessary component to the origin of uh, of Miracle Woman. I'm going to call her Miracle Woman because I think she was you know not Marvel Woman at that point since it was all the new Eclipse material. But you know, Marvel Man meets. Marvel Woman or Miracle Man meets Miracle Woman and she t- conveys her uh, history and she talks about, you know, how she was basically, you know, raped by the Dr. Savannah analog. And later on, she herself ends up being sort of the Athena figure. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The, the Aphrodite figure of this new pantheon where she's the one who suggests to warring races that they have sex. And In other words, she's been, you know, raped and all of her solutions seem very sexualized. And so she's someone that I've always found sort of a problematic character. Um, but I never actually, until you mentioned it, sort of saw the link between her and Promethea and also into Lost Girls, in which... Oh, Lost Girls is just not just, like, a bad book, mm-hmm. but I think is incredibly troubling in terms of, like, when you actually try and unpick the story and the plot and, and Moore's take on sex. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, because weirdly enough, I think, and again, maybe it's just giving him too much of the benefit of the doubt... At the time, Moore went to such great lengths to say, like, hey, this is a work of porn. This is a work of, this isn't even erotica. We're calling this porn. That Lost Girls kind of sidesteps the fact that... Sure, but Jeff, you can have porn that it's not still as creepy. Do you no, know what no, I mean? No, 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 I agree. But, but here's my thing. I don't necessarily think... In other words, I'm, I'm actually trying to you know, be very much on your side, Graham, in that I'm sort of connecting <laughs> the dots. No, 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 but, I mean... It, Lost... I love that you said no, 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 and I hadn't even said it. Like... <laughs> well, because you sort of started making, like, really terrifying, like, no, I, you know, I, I, I was going to, I was going to, No, I was going to make a joke. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell you to stop agreeing with me. <laughs> um... You know, because I do think that, I mean, you know, creepy porn, depending on how it breaks down, you know, is this weird, mm, it, it's it's kind of that weird, like, you know, I, I'm sort of willing to give it more the context of not for me porn, I guess, like, until it sort of starts, I'm a little more worried about it when it's a worldview that creeps into somebody's artwork where it's not necessarily specifically porn, or if it's how to describe this if it starts to look like you said like it's a gender value like you know in lost girls and it's been a while since i've read it so i can't say for sure one of the things that's distressing about it that it plays the porn card very um quickly about is not only is there never any mention of i guess love or a a loving relationship of any kind. There's no emotional development that seems to happen in any way Mm -hmm. among the female characters, but also, you know, as I recall, it's kind of like 
the male character, even the even the two male characters that end up having a gay encounter, manage to talk about something other than sex. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like in Lost Girls, one of the things that was problematic for me is is that all the characters sort of ended up being sexualized. Th- that all the female characters were either sexualized or were blank characters that were hiding their sexuality. Whereas the male characters were the only ones who seemed to care about anything other than sex, even though they then went on to have sex. You know what I mean? So No, 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 I entirely agree. But it just, I honestly think that there's something really, I'm going to say odd at the very least about Moore's take on women. Hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to, like a lot of his fictional, a lot of his fictionalized women reflect his own take on women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I think that's really troubling one. Cause I've actually just, I've actually just taken out absolute Prometheus while we're talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, like the freakiest part of the whole, what is it? It's issue 10 where she has sex with the old guy mm-hmm. is the fact that she enjoys the sex ultimately. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not just that it's a it's a matter of um, of transferring information, right? It's that at the end he says that was pretty good, and she says, "Yeah, yes, it was." I guess you're not bad for a creepy old perverted guy, and it's like I don't know. It takes it back to the sex. Like it, if there was a higher meaning, that takes it back to the sex for me. Mm-hmm. And there seems to be this. I I mean I can't help but projecting Moore onto the magical expert old guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know? I'm, having, I'm having the opposite reaction, which is like it's only now sort of starting to tumble to me the way in which, um, you know, all of, all of Moore's characters, female characters, tend to be sexually active in a way that is... Um, uh, exasperatingly crucial to the plot, like you said, like that that sex scene exists in a way to allow her to, like it's not just a sex scene in a way. Um, I, but know, but I, th- of- I think that's how he gets around it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I think that's, I I guess what I'm saying is I I think this is really similar to like Claremont's much more commented on mm-hmm. sexual fetishism, right? No, exactly, uh, exactly. I see what you're saying. In fact, what I was going to say is, for me, what it is 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 that the women are always... It's not a way for them to get around it. It's like their sexuality is crucial to the plot. Not their gender, but their sexuality. You know? I'm just sort of realizing now, like, do you remember that one Tomorrow Stories issue where, like, the female hero, like, Cobweb, finally meets, has a crossover with the... Um, the spirit analog, whatever his name is, with the gray shirt. Gray shirt. She yeah. and gray shirt meet, and he's like, "Okay, he's ready for a big fight." And then they have sex because, yes. of course, she's she's a woman, right? Exactly. And, and that's thinking, what they're there for, Jeff. Well, and this is kind of my creepy thing of like, it's not that that's what they're there for, but therefore, but it's all that they can be defined by, or you know, like in Watchmen with Laurie Jupiter, or even you know. And there's, there's, a, there's another rape scene. Yeah. Uh, Alan likes writing about rape, doesn't he? Oh, I don't know. Do you really think so? It, like, based on two comics I, I, over no, 27 no, I, years? No, I, or you're, no you're... That, that was me being... Facetious, right? Yeah, okay. 
Just just checking because uh, you're making a pretty good point. I think. Um, no, but so I, I think I think he's. I all I'm saying is I think there's definitely issues there, and I, they're very disturbing issues for me. Right. And I think the Neonomicon book, mm-hmm. like, really lays it bare in a way that I think that every new thing that Alan Moore does uh, undoes his own mythology to an extent these days. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is uh, this is laying bare his his own fetishism and the way that informs his gender politics and the way that informs his work mm-hmm. in a way that can't be defended like Lost Girls could. Well, see, and this is my problem, because I do feel that as you, you as non-Alan Moore fan, I can see where you would view it that way. I see it as something that is very troubling about the character personally. But for example... Claremont's fetishism, which is very disturbing in many ways, you wouldn't necessarily undoes his own mythology. In fact, you and I have talked about the way to which Claremont's fetishism may in fact be one of the Maybe his mythology. <laughs> yeah, you know, yes. I mean... No, 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 but when, no, but when I talk about him, uh, Muran doing his own mythology, I mean almost that he his progressive work from a certain point, and I, I want to say that From Hell is that point, but I could be wrong, mm-hmm. is lesser than what he's already done. Like, he peaked with From Hell, mm. and therefore, as he repeats himself, repeats himself with lesser work, mm-hmm. that the themes seem more evident, and that they, whereas they could be explained away or um, analyzed in from different angles before, mm-hmm. they become more and more obvious. Interesting. I it's funny because I do think that that there is a problem with creators once they tend to create after their after their peak is is after they're they've lost past their prime. I do think that their um, their fetishes and their obsessions tend to be both more obvious and generally more tedious. But I'm yes, not I mean sure. I, I think Claremont's the same thing. Right, absolutely, very much. But I'm not I'm not sure that I'm really willing to to uh, think of it in terms of him uh, of it of it altogether tainting the other work. You know, like, no, I'm not sure. It, I, I'm not sure it taints the other work as much as informs the other work or informs our reading of the other work. Well, yes, and that that I will agree because obviously. <laughs> Obviously, you blew my mind, and I just sat here running through various Alan Moore stories, thinking of various female protagonists and the extent to which they ended up, you know, the centerpiece of part of their story is okay, I, their I, sexuality. So, Okay, it's been a while since I've read V for Vendetta, but does this work with V for Vendetta? Uh, you know... Because yeah. I, I, I just thought, does, that contra- um, does V for Vendetta contradict us or not? Because... Wasn't Evie a prostitute, or am I misremembering? Uh, you're 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 partially remembering. Uh, Evie is the the book opens with her attempting to solicit. That's and right. She's caught by um, policemen, and then of course V rescues her from from probably a potential near rape, if I'm remembering. And then later, right. you know, Evie then ends up. After she leaves V, she does end up getting involved almost immediately with another man who, you know, you sort of flash forward in the story. So the relationship is kind of, 
you know, it isn't very deep and it's set up for his inevitable, I think, death and the whole situation that happens mm-hmm. that I, I think is the next stage of her initiation or not. I don't remember. It's been long enough. Um, but actually, there are characters, and who knows, you could maybe say that they are characters that are, you know, girlish women as opposed to women, of which Evie might be one. And I'm kind of thinking of uh, Toy Box, I think, from Top Ten and Smacks who ends up, you know, particularly in the Smacks uh, miniseries, ends up being the hero of the story, but mm-hmm. is sort of, you know, has a specific sort of pre-womanly state to her. Like, I'm, try- I'm trying to think if that's true or not. I mean, it's, I would say it's true of Evie. I would say it's true of Toy Box. I'm trying to think if there's others. You know, Abigail... Uh, Cable in Swamp Thing, of course, is part of the thing that I find very, you know, I'm... I, I think of her as an incredibly well-rounded character. And, of course, I'm thinking, like, well, on the other hand, part of what ended up getting, you know, launching the whole Vertigo title was, of course, you know, Moore's insistence that, you know, on having an issue where the two of them are having sex, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, Here, here's here's something I'm going to say that could be bullshit or might blow your mind, and I'm not sure which. <laughs> is Alan Moore the opposite of Dave Sim in how they regard female sexuality? That is very funny. That is very funny. I would say, I would say, uh, I I was sort of half thinking of that, and yes, I tend to think so. I think that you know Moore has. I mean, this is the. I mean, the problem with Moore's stuff is, is again to me, is the rampant sexualization of but, but of the women. I, I, but I feel t- like both of them do the same thing. I feel that both of them can't see past sex to humanize the opposite gender, if that makes sense. Well, and it's, it's where they go with that idea. Right. With the power of sex that I think... Right, that they go in vastly different but, directions. But exactly. otherwise, they're the same. Um, well, I, I mean, it's a pretty big split to say that, you know, because again, Moore may well be hiding behind the veneer of plot appropriateness and and humanism, I suppose, by saying, like, the sexual act, you know, is an act of love, and without love, you can't be a human being, a complete human being. It's pretty hard to... But how how often in more books is the sexual act an act of love? Uh, I would say say it's 50-50, honestly. Uh, I would say it's got to be closer to seventy-five, twenty-five, right? Honestly, yeah, I think so. Okay, would you call the, Would you call the sex in Promethean an act of love? Uh, and if so, where Where is the love? I would say not that initial act of sex, but I seem to recall there's a later act of sex. Like Promethea becomes closer to a spirit of imagination and love. I think. Um, I'm thinking of Miracle Woman, who again has. Uh, you know, sex with Miracle Man and also with many other characters, it seems like, and is is considered an embodiment of love. The sex that happens between Dan and Lori in Watchmen is an act of love, whereas the act of rape between the comedian and Lori's mom and Sally ends up, of course, being an act of sex that creepily enough becomes an act of love. Yeah, uh, which which, again, is like seriously creepy to me it has right. always been like ever since i first read it and i was like 14 or something i was like really yeah oh 
Yeah, that that's kind of, but um, but I don't know. I don't. You know, I. I don't. I, maybe, maybe maybe it is less. Than, maybe it's better than fifty-fifty. But I feel that. I don't know. I just feel that Sim and Moore both completely get stuck on the sexualization of women. I and I'm totally and, and, totally and can't sure. really move past it. Right. And they take it in different places, but they can't really move past it. Well, um, I, I I think that I think that more where more takes it is a very interesting is a better place. Well, it's but, a healthier place, but it, it, I don't think he's moving past it. I think the only woman, I think the only female characters he can respond to in a non-sexualized manner are, like you said, like girl women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and it, even and even then, I think it almost becomes gender neutral. Like their gender almost becomes entirely non-existent. Right, right. And then, of course, once you factor in Lost Girls, I mean that line kind of just Lost Girls likes yeah. Lost Girls screws it. Yeah, to hell. exactly. Let's just pretend Lost Girls doesn't exist. I think that the world would be better. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. No, I uh, no, I I I guess I, I I agree with you in all the crucial points, but split with you on that one because I do think that it's very troubling the idea that that yeah that more can't see the like you said with that one exception can't really see women except through the context of uh, of their sexuality and what their sexuality provides which ends up being a positive healing thing and in the case of sim it's a negative you know uh uh thieving no it's it's a void yes yeah exactly so the you know so it is kind of an interesting point that they're that they're both so strong um Wow. Well, it's going to be really interesting to talk about more comics after this. Let I was going to say, well, well done us. For going, we're going to talk about comics or we're going to have a half-hour discussion about Alan Burns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's like, really? More? Again? Like, we didn't learn our lesson that last time, you know? Because Lord knows, after our, dis- our talk about more, that was the first time we got email where people were like, I think you are both being very unfair. And it's like, ooh. Okay. Hey, I didn't. I didn't get email. Oh, I guess it was just a comment. I don't know. It's all. <laughs> Did you get email? Because I didn't. Awesome. No, no, no. <laughs> Clearly, you were being very unfair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Good save. Um, let's see what else have I read. Oh, I read the Wild Kingdom, the Kevin Hazenga reworking of or else four. Oh, and uh, which again, just it's. It, I think it's wonderful, and again, it really disturbs me and makes me worried for Kevin Nisenga. Oh, interesting. I would like. I, I I think it's a beautiful book. I think it's it's it's. I, I'm in love with his work anyway. Yes. But um, yeah, there's there's something about it that just. I remember the the original Animal Kingdom issue being. It's it's not significantly different. It's just longer. Oh. Well, then I might be screwed because that first issue completely, I was lost. It was one of the few issues of his work. Like some of his other stuff, he's done some diagrammatic stuff where I'm like, uh, not following it. And that was the first issue of his stuff, really of his, of his or else stuff where I was like, I don't see where you're going with this at all. So oh, I, I know I, it, it, it holds together for me. But uh-huh. it's something I had to do like two or three read throughs before I was like, okay, I see what you're getting. Like, I feel like I got a, a jump start this time because so much of it is in RLs 4. Mm-hmm. Um, it's wonderful, but it is, it's, it's a curiously depressing book. 
Interesting. Uh, why? Because of where he goes with his statements about the world, or what? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's. It's. I. I find it. I find it distressing. I guess maybe more than depressing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, there seems a, a a pessimism about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not a necessarily a pessimism about people, but a pessimism about nature I guess right um, and it, but also within that there's a I mean there's lots of there's still lots of comedy I mean there's two pages that are the fancy penguins if I sorry fancy pigeons that are just drawings of pigeons you know which, which is kind of funny um, but I don't know there, there's there's a sense throughout the whole thing of Kuzenga being overwhelmed by life mm-hmm. um, and overwhelmed by the media and overwhelmed by the world around him. Right. That actually, to harken back to the last time we did this, uh, reminds me very much of that Evan Dark and Dark issue. Right. Um, and I guess that's why it worries me. Because I feel like what he's doing is that he is... It's not that he's trying to work through his issues ahead of time. It's that he is literally putting his confusion on the page. Interesting. Um, and his desire to escape from that confusion, which comes out in very destructive imagery. I mean, the end of the book is literally just like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I find it very... I mean, I find it very emotionally powerful, mm-hmm. but also very distressing. Interesting. I sort of, and again, I hadn't read the original version much, and I felt very lost, but I kind of thought the closest it seemed to me of following what he was saying, arguably, was talking about, uh, I guess, the, the literally about reproduction in a way, and the reproduction of... Uh, of things uh, to lead to the point that it being natural and what the end point of it was. So as I recall, the idea that media essentially replicates itself to the point where it becomes nonsense and then it moves to a state beyond that where it becomes chaos. And I guess that's kind of what it took to me. Like I, The closest I came to interpreting the book was showing the progression from signal to noise, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and and to what extent, be, because he's always pushing the envelope of, uh, I guess, how how abstract you can get and still convey meaning. Um, to me, the part that was kind of terrifying and also I, ultimately kind of tedious in a way, I guess more than terrifying, was the point at which things just became incomprehensible. Um, Maybe I gave up on it sooner than that point. But do you feel that that's something that's at work in in, in, in the work, or am I misinterpreting? Oh no, no, I, th- I think I think that's. That, no, I think you're entirely right. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and I th- I think there's I think there's definitely part about the uh, the signal becoming noise, especially when there's a there's a whole section called "Do you suffer from any of these symptoms?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that was in the original or not. Mm-hmm. Um. But the end of that section is 
and I, I think you've seen it in other works, he's got characters who have very abstracted faces. I mean, incredibly abstracted faces that is just um, iconographic images as if it's a mask. Right. Just repeating over again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, I was saved from my own life. Wow. Which, is, like, I can't read as comedy, if that makes sense. Right. I, I find it impossible to read that purely as comedy. Right. Um, and so maybe I'm relating to it too much. God knows. But, um, I mean, that's immediately followed by, as you can tell, that in front of me, our biggest sale of the year, a cry this big only comes once a year, now through Monday, 36 hours of darkness. Which is funny, and also Horrifying. not funny, but yeah, it immediately exactly. follows from, I was saved from my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and and then the end of the book is literally a bird. Let's see what happens to the bird to start this all off. A bird fly, flies into electrical wires, mm-hmm. and then on fire crashes into a swimming pool, setting a house on fire. Oh the yeah, house, I remember that. Uh, house on fire then leads to a car accident, mm-hmm. which leads to. An explosion, which leads to a car hitting a plane in the air, which leads to a plane crashing, and literally everything ends. You know, and that's really... And I mean, it, it goes further than the original because it zooms out to the Earth, and the last image of the book is the Earth being hit by another planet. Wow. So it's, it's really heavy stuff, and it's really disturbing mm-hmm. stuff to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's incredibly disturbing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is actually one of the things that is funny because, you know, getting a chance to to meet creators is always sort of a challenging thing because when you do so, it can color your how you view the work and them and, you know, uh, the the them that exists in your head as the creator of the work when they're, you know, anonymous and what have you. And it's funny, I would be less inclined to worry about him personally as opposed to Dorkin, I suppose. Uh, but I can see him, but I can still see myself being absolutely creeped out and sort of distraught by by what's, by the imagery and the message. Um, there was something that really struck me I wish, and I, unfortunately with my netbook, I cannot turn on a browser or we're just going to lose <laughs> everything. Uh, but there was definitely a sense I remember with, um, he had a post on his blog that where he reprinted a poem by someone. I want to say it's, I'm really tempted to say it was W.S. Merwin, and I could be wrong. Um, and it even had a panel for with the poet speaking in one of the phrases. And the poem itself was Great, but unbelievably depressing, and the cartoon too. Do you are you were you able to draw it up successfully? Or I, I'm I'm looking right now and trying to find it. Do you remember when it? it, when it, it I, was? I, I think it was the last entry in his blog. So it can't. In a way, I would think if you can find the blog, you can find it. The problem is he has a couple of different. Like I'm trying to remember what the name of his blog was because it wasn't he had his, it's it's not the balloonist it's not his it is the balloonist if you go to the balloonist if it's not the very most oh is, is it the the um we invented forgiveness and forgive nothing yes which is which, which, which is which is a section from the wild kingdom 
Ah, okay. That's, Which... that's part of the Wild Kingdom. That, in fact, is part of the same strip that ends with, thank you, thank you, I've saved, you've saved me from my own life. That's funny, because I, I do think that was in the original and didn't strike me nearly as much as that one panel without context goes. And then below that, does he talk, is it Merwin that he talks about and reprints a poem for him? Yes. Okay. The the Merwin poem... For, for, for a coming extinction. Yeah, was amazing. Um, and I'm curious to see, like, so there's kind of an extent to where I feel that these might be thematic concerns, I suppose, in his head. Like, I'm sure he's seriously invested in trying to communicate these things, but sort of, you know, um, Huizinga might be doing so in a way that a poet might be sort of impassionately trying to, to impart, I'm sorry, passionately trying to impart a warning without necessarily having that sense of his own world ending as much. You know what I mean? Like, he's very much sort of a, a, a prophet, I suppose, you know. Because, um, you know, one of the things that kind of struck me about about Kevin Huizinga when I met him was that he seemed almost a guardedly together guy, you know? Like, he was... I mean, he was a sort of a shy guy. He spent a lot of time sort of staring off into space during parts of the signing, and, you know, he made small talk with the other uh, cartoonists that he admired tremendously, but it was fascinating to me when I talked to him that his... He wasn't rude, but he was withdrawn in a way that struck me as self-efficient, I suppose. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and then, of course, I don't know if you've ever met his wife, but I met... I, his... I, I met them both at the same. Right, okay. I knew you were there, and I wasn't sure if you met her. But honestly, after meeting her, I was kind of like, I can't worry about him. You know what I mean? Like, his, his wife seems unbelievably just friendly and smart and great and centered in a way. And who knows? I mean, that doesn't mean anything. Those sorts of women are, uh, end up with like crazy men all the time. But, uh, but I don't know. I kind of walked out of it. So part of me is like, Graham, 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 you worry too much, but who knows? Maybe he'll be here at, at NYCC and I can, I can ask him and, and he will be like, <laughs> Yes. Exactly. You'll ask him and he'll be like, who's this guy who's like worried about me? He's just got a life. I know. He's kind of like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. People worrying about strangers on the internet. But uh, if if he's at NYCC, well, even if he's not, you should definitely pick up Wild Kingdom. It's a really good book, but it is distressing. You know, I, 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 I at first thought that it was not for me because I didn't enjoy the original book that much but i might very well because oh i I remember i remember feeling very much uh more distanced from the original than i do from the walking from the from the hardcover right so i i may look into that um uh let's see here okay well i have about five more minutes um, do we have like a, a round of quick hits? Do you have like anything in particular you want to punch or should we save uh, it for another I'm trying time to think. What, what have I read that I've thought was surprisingly good lately? Um, American Vampire, I'm enjoying more than I expected. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I should sort of qualify that. I actually really enjoyed the first five issues, but I think the new storyline is much better. Oh, interesting. Wow, uh, that's not what I would have expected in a way. 
were you thinking that once King left, it would get weaker? No, not necessarily that. I'm just. I, I mean, I feel like it, it went the giving uh, Snyder the full issue uh-huh. takes it from him sort of rushing through a story in the first five to being able to tell a story. Right. So it's got it breathes a lot more. It breathes a lot better. Mm, um, and Albuquerque's art is still just wonderful. Oh, um, nice. What else have I read? It's been so long, Jeff. I know. I know. We're so out of practice. Uh, let me give. Oh, two. the Carol Tyler book. The Carol Tyler book I actually really liked, and that's entirely through Douglas Volk. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's you should know. You'll never know. You'll never know. You'll never know. Interesting. Interesting. That's fascinating. I I remember following Tyler's work way back when when she was an early fan of graphics. Uh, what was it? Good Girls, I think, was her was her book. I remember sort of following that and kind of wondering, like, huh, I wonder what's going to happen with her. So. Um, I, I was. I remember thinking that I should be checking that book out. So it's good to know that it's worth it. Um, uh, I should mention that I picked up. This is from last year, apparently. But Gangsta Rap Posse. Uh, I also picked this up at Bergen Street Comics um, by I think Benjamin Mara. It's uh, it's a very disturbing little two dollar black and white comic book that sort of reminds me a lot of Spain Rodriguez's work, where it's basically what if you know somebody wanted to tell a 15-page black-and-white comic about NWA um, as a you know a day in the life of the mythical NWA? So basically, they, <laughs> they basically like grab guns and go and like blowing holes and in, in everybody just amazing like you know two-page, three-page fight sequences where they've got guns and they're shooting everyone everyone in sight there's a there's an amazing sequence where they leap off the stage at one point with like you know 16 guns blazing like everyone's got two guns in each hand and and are just blowing people open and then of course you know basically like taking hose and like selling crack and it's it's kind of disturbing, but it's also deeply hilarious in a way. Do, that... do you take hoes? Is that what you do with hoes? Well, what happens is... I, in... I like I like the way you say that. It feels very old-fashioned. Well, I, feel like, I feel like you're going towards the Bible. They laid with hoes. They laid with hoes, and the hoes <laughs> laid with them. And such a crack baby was begat. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it, it kind of is like that. I mean, they end up taking out, what's the name of the, there's a, a rapper that's like, um, been dissing them, MC Baby Butts. And so they show up and they kill MC Baby Butts. And then of course the, the, the crack hoes who are with him are so excited about the fact that he's dead and they now have a chance to become hoes for gangster rap posse. And then they all hop in the car and then. And then uh, the posse goes and, and uh, turns them into prostitutes. It's the sort of thing Alan Moore would appreciate. And uh, love it. Yeah, it's like I said. It in some ways it sort of reminds me of Spain Rodriguez's work. I'm sure there's some other influences. I mean, I'm sure the person drawing it was like Spain. Who? What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> it's enjoyable. It's only two dollars. It's a very disturbing comic book in that it's fucked up shit, but it's also kind of hilarious and unsettling and uh and and recommend worthy i think if that's what you're looking for i was going to recommend one more thing and i can't think what it is god damn it what have i read recently jeff uh graham is it west coast blues by jacques tardy and jean patrick no but it is jacques tardy well done okay extraordinary adventures of adele long 
Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Which is really, really, really good. That is not. Who's publishing that? Is that for a second that's or no? Fan, that's Fanta Graphics. Oh, is Fanta's got that? Well, that's yes. Fanta. And it's out, and it's hardcover, and it's large, and it's lovely. Wow. That sounds fabulous. Uh, I will have to look for that. And unfortunately, I totally have to go because I have somewhere. I've got to be at yes, a bar you're, you're, in yes, 10 minutes. You're. But <laughs> Go. Go. Say hi to Edie for me. And also, do I still need to send you a return of Persuade if you want? Uh. If you want to, that would be fabulous. Did you pick there it is, up already? Or well, the no? reason I say that is I hadn't picked it up, but I was cleaning up my office because that's what I'm doing before right. Gethmala gets here. And I found out I have two extra copies. <laughs> so I'll, I'll mail one to That would be fantastic. I still need to mail you a copy of what? It was another Grant Morrison book or a Batman book? Batman 701. I bought that. I unfortunately you will not be getting it until November, but I well, have that, a copy. Well, that's weird because I'm going to send your book to San Francisco, so you'll be fine. <laughs> okay, fabulous. Okay, go and enjoy your drinking. This was terrific. I will email you post NYCC, and we can figure out when to do this again because this was great. Cool. Sounds like a plan, sir. All right. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>